You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, everybody. I'm Trevor Noah. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Social Distancing Show. On tonight's show, I'm going to be joined by Joe Biden, former vice president of the United States and presumptive Democratic nominee for president. We're gonna be talking about his response to the Black Lives Matter movement, his proposals for police reform, and what he's searching for in a running mate. Also on tonight's episode, Georgia's primary is a catastrophe, Gone with the Wind is gone from TV, and why baby names are changing forever. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, This is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Okay, first up. Since the murder of George Floyd, activists and protesters around the country have been rallying around the slogans, defund the police and abolish the police. And while that hasn't happened yet in our cities, it is happening on our TVs. The popular TV show Cops officially canceled. The Paramount Network made the announcement today, just four days after the show was pulled from the schedule. This comes amid nationwide protests against police brutality and calls for police reform. The series has been on since 1989 and faced backlash for its depiction of law enforcement. Okay, I I think when people were asking for cops to be canceled, this was not what they had in mind. You know what this is like? This is like when you make a wish with a genie but you aren't specific enough. I wish I was in the NBA. No, not as a ref. Ah, LeBron, that's a travel. And you know, if you ask me, I can't even believe that cops lasted this long. I mean, this was always such a weird show. Who comes home from a long day at work and is like, I wanna unwind, you know, let me watch some broke shirtless guys get their lives destroyed. It's the only way I can get some sleep. And you know, although this might seem like a frivolous thing, like removing cops from TV, I'll be honest, I think this is a move in the right direction because people take for granted how our perceptions of the police are shaped by the shows that we watch on TV, you know? So when we hear about police brutality, a lot of people are like, well, that, that can't be right. I, I grew up watching shows like Miami Vice and Starsky and Hutch and Hawaii Five-O and all the cops, they, they never did anything wrong. In fact, if you think about it, even when we used to watch cop shows about a, a policeman violating somebody's rights or you know beating them up to get a confession, what would we think as kids? We wouldn't judge that cop. Because of how the story was told, we'd be like, this cop is trying to do his job, but the constitution is holding him back. So. No more cops. And that isn't the only problematic content that's being removed from American TV. This morning, an American cinema classic, Gone with the Wind, has been temporarily pulled by the streaming platform HBO Max. For years, the movie has been considered controversial for its depiction of black people and its glorification of slavery. In a statement, HBO Max writing in part, these racist depictions were wrong then and are wrong today. And keeping this title up without an explanation and a denouncement of those depictions would be irresponsible. Adding the film will return with a discussion of its history historical context and a denouncement of those very depictions. Man, this is a big move from HBO. They know that millions of people, millions of people love Gone with the Wind. They also know that the movie is problematic because it makes it seem like some slaves were having a pretty good time. And we know that's not true. 
I know some people want to argue that. They want to be like, oh, but some slaves didn't have it that bad and some slaves weren't having a tough... Let me tell you something. If slaves were having a good time, then they wouldn't have needed to be slaves. Yeah. The people could have just let them go home and see if they come back. That's how you know people are having a good time. Another reason you know they weren't having a good time is because no white person ever tried to become a slave. Yeah, no white person was ever like, hey, honey, I'm gonna go and see if they're hiring down at the plantation. I think I could make a pretty good slave. Do you think this, uh, this outfit makes me look professional? <laughs> Wish me luck. And look, I know that some people are gonna argue that this is just a movie. It doesn't have to be an accurate portrayal of slavery. But my argument is maybe you wouldn't have to rely on movies if American schools didn't use textbooks that referred to slaves as immigrants, right? And if they didn't give out homework assignments asking people to list the positive aspects of slavery. If you can't count on the education system, then movies are gonna have to pick up that slack. Like, I understand what HBO is doing. They're like, yo, we're gonna have to provide some context because clearly a lot of Americans don't have it. In fact, maybe that's what HBO should do. You know, maybe HBO should, should make people take a quiz about American history before they get to watch Gone with the Wind. Question number one, why was there a civil war? Oh, because states wanted the right... Nah, you don't need to watch this movie. Here's a documentary. You come back in a few years and try again. Now, HBO hasn't said how they're gonna add context to Gone with the Wind. And it is gonna be a tough task. So we decided to do it for them. Scarlett, you know, you, you get prettier all the time. Why, thank you, Ashley. It's the glow and never working. Yes, we've traveled a long road since the old days, haven't we, Scarlett? Oh, the lazy days. Oh, they weren't lazy for everyone. The warm, still country twilight. The high, soft Negro laughter from the quarters. The what now? Let's get one thing straight. Black people laugh loud. If we're laughing softly, it means we're laughing at your ass. Oh, Red, I'd give anything to have Tara the way it was before the war. You know she's talking about slavery. You got that right. Then go ahead and make it that way. Spend whatever you want. Make it as fine a plantation as it ever was. Oh, it will be a fine plantation. But it's gonna have to have white labor next time. The South is not gonna rise again, Scarlet. Great job, Dulce. Next up, you should fix Green Book. Now, while our movies are getting a lesson in racism, we're also making some updates to the movies of reading books. One woman is changing the way people look at racism by changing its definition. Kennedy Mitchum contacted Merriam-Webster after she saw folks quoting the definition of racism online. Mitchum says the definition should include that there is a systemic oppression upon a group of people. It is not simply just dislike of someone because of the color of their skin or ethnicity. The editor of Merriam-Webster agreed and said a revision to the entry of racism is being drafted. Whew. You know this movement is creating change when even the dictionary is agreeing that they need to update the definition of racism. Because dictionaries can be very slow to embrace change. I mean, most of these words have had the same definition since I was in preschool. And you know, it really does say something about how powerful this movement is. They just updated an entire word in the dictionary. That is huge. Like imagine if whoever's in charge of math was just like, yo, uh, we screwed up on the number seven. It's a lot more complicated than we realized. And you know, it makes perfect sense to do this because there are a lot of people out there who think that racism is only if you wear a clan hood or call somebody the N-word. 
And then if you don't do that, you're not racist. I mean, Amy Cooper, Amy Cooper herself said, oh no, I know what I did was wrong, but I'm not racist. I never did anything racist. But the truth is, and people are starting to realize this, racism as a system is often more dangerous and destructive. You know, preventing black people from getting loans, stopping black kids from getting an equal education, racial disparities in medical treatment. You know, racism is like the corn syrup of society. It's in everything. So right now, thanks to this movement, the movement in the streets, we are being forced to look at all of the ways we might be further perpetuating negative ideas that enforced racism in the world. Our TV shows, our movies, the definitions of words, you know? And what's been magical to see is that some corporations and institutions, they've jumped on board. They've jumped on board to say, yes, we can all do better. Well, babynames.com is making a powerful statement in honor of recent protests and the Black Lives Matter movement. The website's homepage shows a black box with dozens of names along with the message. It says each of these names was somebody's baby. They include Eric, Michael, Philando, Brianna, and George. The website posted the names of black people who've been killed, many by police. Babynames.com says it stands in solidarity with the black community. I'm not gonna lie. This is one of the most powerful statements I've seen. And from one of the most unlikely places as well, babynames.com. Like, cause you don't think they would have any way of participating in a conversation about race and racism. But they've shown, they've shown that if you want to be a part of moving society forward, you can find a way. In fact, what they did gave me an idea. All you white people, all you white people right now watching the show saying that you're allies, why don't you start naming your kids black names that have historically limited black people from getting jobs, huh? You should name your white son Kwame. You should name your white daughter Makeba, yes. And then that way, when corporations are looking through job applications, they won't know who's black, they won't know who's white. And I'm being serious about this, white people. The only way to be an ally is to give your kids a black sounding name. <laughs> now nah, I'm just joking. There's other ways to be an ally, but you should have seen your face. You, sh you should have seen, you were terrified. Yeah, because I'm, I'm just playing. Like, you can be an ally in so many different ways. For now, you can keep giving your kids normal white people names like Polo and Daenerys. Now, while all of this racial reckoning is going on, it's really easy to forget that this is also an election year. Last night, Democrats and Republicans lined up to vote in Georgia's primary elections. And when I say lined up, I mean they lined up. Today, voters in Georgia were met with long lines and confusion at polling places as they tried to cast ballots in the state's primary elections. From the air, you could see long lines of Georgia voters, socially distanced, stretching through parking lots. Voters reported standing in the hot sun for up to four hours. An extremely long wait. I've seen lots of people leave, you know, they don't, don't have it, understanding employers. We gotta do better when it comes to voting. This is a crisis in our world to make us not exercise our right to vote. Please, God, Help us! God damn, did you see those lines? That didn't look like a voting day. It looked like, like the last scene in Us. And by the way, kudos to that white woman for using her complaining superpowers to defend democracy. We need to see more of that. Instead of all these white women you see complaining that their iced tea is too cold. Because whether you're black, white, Republican, or Democrat, nobody should have to struggle to vote. I think we can all agree on that. Nobody should have to wait four hours to vote. This is an election, not the latest pair of Jordans. And that's what yesterday was. It was a struggle, an unnecessary struggle. And the reason it went wrong is because of everything. 
Georgia, a key battleground state in November, had rescheduled its primary twice because of the coronavirus pandemic. Health concerns kept many longtime poll workers from showing up today, leaving inexperienced volunteers to run new voting machines for the first time. Polling precincts that were at churches, assisted living centers, and senior centers had to be moved because of the coronavirus. Georgia's Secretary of State, who oversees the election, is blaming local officials, saying poll workers were not properly trained. The employees didn't understand the system. So what were they doing for all these months? All of a sudden they wake up and they say, let's have an election on Tuesday. One county official firing back at the Secretary of State, saying if there was a failure of leadership, it starts where the buck should stop at the top. Now Georgia's Secretary of State has launched an investigation ahead of November's election. You know, it's funny how America has unlimited resources to make sure that countries around the world get democracy, but then America never seems to have the resources to make sure that there's democracy in America. I mean, if Atlanta wants more voting resources, maybe they should just declare that they're a country in the Middle East. Yo, so uh, we're actually Afghanistan, Atlanta. So we, can we get some of that democracy cash? And while these issues were happening across the state of Georgia, they were especially bad in black areas. Three quarters of the people who called the hotline to complain about voting problems were black. And partly that's because out of the 53 Georgia counties where polling places have been closed since 2012, more than half have large black populations. And I mean, at this point, none of this is surprising, right? We're used to seeing this by now. In fact, smartphone data shows that in 2016, voters in black neighborhoods across the country waited at polling places 29% longer than voters in white areas. So as usual, when something goes bad in America, for black people, it gets worse. And it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's policing, uh, voting issues, or winter. Yeah, because the Weather Channel says it's 30 degrees, but for black people, that shit feels like negative 10. So once again, America had an election day, and once again, America had a case of severe electoral dysfunction, especially with coronavirus now in the mix. And you know, just like with coronavirus, America has an opportunity right now to heed the warnings before it's too late. Because this isn't just a problem in Georgia. Right? We've seen these issues all around the country. And if this happens again in November with the presidency at stake, best believe people are gonna be fighting over a lot more than just toilet paper. All right, we need to take a short break, but don't go away because Joe Biden is joining us right after this, so stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke to former Vice President Joe Biden about his position on police reform, voting rights, and so much more. Check it out. Mr. Vice President, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. It's good to be with you. And it's a big distance um, now. <laughs> it definitely is a big distance. Um, you, you have been making news over the past few weeks, responding to what's happening in America, responding to what can easily be described as one of the most tumultuous times in not just American, but world history. I wanna talk a little bit about the op-ed that you put out today. Talk me through how you would plan to undo systemic oppression, how you would plan to undo systemic racism and, and, and how you think you'll address the needs of the African-American community. Well, first of all, uh, it's gonna take time. Uh, you know, Donald Trump didn't invent racism, but he sure has promoted it. And it's systemic, has been real. The disparities in the country, especially in the economy right now, the combination, there's, a, there's just an awful combination. COVID-19, unemployment, systemic racism, and what's happening in terms of the way in which the, the George Floyd's 
uh, death took place. I mean, you know, I think about it. When I was a kid, what really changed and sparked the civil rights movement as a kid, that I was just involved in it, no great shake, just a high school, college student, was that television was around. And television came along when they saw what Bull Connor was doing in Birmingham, Alabama. People went, whoa, I didn't know that really happened in America. Right. And then now today, everybody, not only should cops be wearing uh, body cams, everybody has a body cam. Everybody has a cell phone. And can you, if the, the last words of George Floyd, I can't breathe, they would have been consequential. But if they're not seen him take his last breath. None of this would have been nearly as consequential because people are now saying, my God, did you see that? And it's one of those inflection points. It really does feel like an inflection point. And it is a difficult one for many Americans to navigate because most Americans agree that there is a problem in policing between police and the black community, and even many poor white communities. This is something that we know when we look at interactions between the police and American people. You have come out in favor of police reform, you know, but what, what does that actually mean? Because some people think that you cannot reform an institution that is fundamentally rotten in the core. Well, I don't think it's rotten in the core, and I don't think all cops are bad cops, but I think, what, look, 90% of all the funding for police comes from local taxpayers. So the federal government under our system cannot, other than taking a civil rights action, say they mm-hmm. do A, B, C, and D. But what we can do is we can make sure that we insist on certain fundamental changes take place now, including giving, making sure there's sensitivity training, making sure that all of cops' uh, past grievances, or excuse me, uh, transgressions are all made public. Because we can say, if you don't, we are not going to provide the federal funding that we provide for you through what they call burn grants and cop grants. And so we can, I think, now impact on significantly the desire of many police departments as well to fundamentally change the way they police. You know, many activists and organizers have come out saying there have been repeated attempts to reform many police departments. Were it not for civilian cameras, we wouldn't know the truth oftentimes. I mean, we've seen three instances in the past few weeks of major police departments being contradicted by video evidence that comes out. So some would say to you, um, uh, Mr. Vice President, if you were to become president, do you think that there would be a world where defunding the police would be the solution and getting, getting some of these responsibilities away from police forces? You know, police in schools, police handling mental illness, police handling homelessness, et cetera. Well, I think there are a lot of changes they can take place, period, without having to defund police completely. Here's what I think's happened. You have well over 80% of the American people going, whoa, I didn't know this. I didn't know this was happening. I don't believe police should be defunded, but I think the conditions should be placed upon them where departments are having to take significant reforms relating to mm-hmm. the, we should set up a national use of force standard. If they don't sign on to it, then, in fact, they don't get any of the federal money. In addition, that they have to demonstrate that they release all the data that relates to misconduct by police. That all has to be sent to the Justice Department. If they don't send it to the Justice Department nationally, they don't get funding. But and as it, as it relates to, for example, um, mental illness and homelessness and drug abuse and the like, many changes we can make. But, the, I, for example, my daughter is a social worker. She has a master's in social work. The idea that she's going to respond by herself 
to a 911 call that says that someone is overdosing or someone has a mental problem and they're acting out, the idea of going by themselves is not rational to expect. Conversely, the cops shouldn't go alone. The cops should go with with people who are mental health experts. Do you not think, though, there's an opportunity to have somebody that's not a policeman? Because, you know, the, the old adage, um, if, you, if you are a hammer, then everything is a nail. And so, uh, you not think there's an opportunity to have people who are not even police in these environments who are trained and specialized? I mean, at mental institutions, for instance, you know, it's not police who are helping these people. It's people who are trained in diffusing these situations. No, what they are, though, they also use force in those mental institutions when someone's out of hand. They put them in straitjackets. They put them in circumstances where they have big guys come in and hold somebody down. It's not just someone walking in and saying, look, here, you got to calm down now. I know how to deal with you. This is what it, 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 it's not that simple, but that should be the objective. So we should put the police second in those circumstances and not first. For example, we should change the way in which we deal with all drug abuse. Nobody should be going to jail for the use of drugs. They should be going to mandatory rehabilitation. We should be building rehab centers, not more prisons. You know, building trust between law enforcement and communities is, and, and, and to increase safety is, is to invest in, in funding of community policing. When we were funding community policing, the crime rate went down and the visibility of the, I mean, and, 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 the, and the extent of brutality went down too because people know who's in the community. But it's, it's much bigger than that, it's complicated. And but I think we should turn over as much as we can to non-armed police officers to de- to de-escalate me- things relating to mental illness, homelessness, and drug abuse. And one of one of the areas that almost everybody synony- synonymously agrees on is that police unions have shown themselves to be extremely strong and oftentimes have contracts that provide impunity for the police, you know? It is hard to to get the bad apples out of police departments. I mean, just in the case of George Floyd, you had a police officer where just from the record that people could get access to, you saw somewhere around 20 previous grievances against the police officer. So what is your plan to try and get police unions to sign on? And if they don't, is there a plan to remove some of their power or to deal with them differently? No, well, the plan would be that their departments don't get funded if they don't do the things that have to change. For example, there are bad cops, there are bad senators, there are bad docs, there are bad lawyers, there are bad, and they're all very poor at policing themselves, every one of these institutions and organizations. So you got to say, here's the deal. When a police officer is tried with a violent crime or tried with violating the law. They should not be tried by the local prosecutor. It has to be a prosecutor that doesn't handle their cases. We're gonna make that a law. So there's more distance between the two. Making sure that cops can be fired for cause. Cops can be fired when in fact you can make the case and bring a case that indicates they have violated the law, they have violated common decency. And when that happens, you're going to see police departments changing and police unions changing. And by the way, not all unions are taking the same positions. Some unions are much more forward leaning than other unions are. But the fact of the matter is there has to be a fundamental change. You've got to be able to root out bad cops and the good cops, the majority of whom are, know how it makes them all look. They look bad. It makes everyone look bad. So I think you're going to see a lot more movement in terms of police unions as well. But if it's not, they're going to have to obey the law as written. We're going to change the way in which we hold police departments accountable.
When we come back, more of my interview with Joe Biden. Stick around. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke to former Vice President and Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden. Here's more of our discussion. One of the major things you would have to do in order to create all of this change is win an election. Yes, um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I that's think true. It, it's safe to say that America is expecting a really dirty election. We know how Donald Trump plays in an election. We've seen it up against Hillary Clinton in 2016. You know that he holds no punches. You know that he will punch below the belt. You've often said that you plan to be the president who brings America back together, but how does that play into the way you'll run your campaign? Well, first of all, uh, you know, when the Carney show comes through town the first time, everybody finds out there's no pee under any one of the three shells. Well, next time it comes around, people have a, liver, a different view. The thing we're doing is calling out every lie he, in fact, is saying. We're calling out and making a case that this guy is not a good guy. This is what he has done. What's happening is the American public overwhelmingly now, if you notice, two-thirds of the American public thinks that the people who wanna, who are protesting are the people who are right and not the president. The president has been wrong. And so there's a lot that's changed, a lot that's changed, but it's gonna be hard. And he's gonna get very personal and say things about me, my family, my children, everything that are simply not true. But the good news is the bad news. The good news is the people know me and they know me warts and all. The bad news is they know me. And so he's not gonna be able to make things stick that aren't already real weaknesses on my part. And I have weaknesses, for real. What do you think the, some of those weaknesses are? Well, I'm not gonna advertise, no. But one of the weaknesses are because I always say what I think. No one ever, no one ever has suggested that I don't mean what I say. Sometimes That's I say true. all that I mean, and that gets me in trouble. <laughs> and sometimes it does, <laughs> I, I get it. And my old stuttering days, the case they come back and I find myself uh, just to talk, to, you know, to, 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 talking like that. And so, you know, I sometimes make political gaffes. But you know the old expression, a gaffe in Washington is a politician telling the truth. The America place in the world has been damaged significantly. The next mm -hmm. president is going to inherit a world in disarray, number one. Number two, at home, we are a divided nation in a consequential way. I've spent my whole career, and the one thing people give me credit and blame for is bringing this, both sides together, coming up with principal compromise. And so the two things, the reason I'm running, both those issues tend to be in my wheelhouse. Doesn't mean I'm gonna get them right. I'm gonna make mistakes. I'm gonna make serious mistakes. But the point is, I take responsibility for the mistakes. Let me then ask you this. How do you plan as Joe Biden to speak to those voters who might say, you know what, I'm not a fan of Trump, but I love what he has done for the economy and I may be economically better off because of him. How do you plan to win those people over? Well, there's not nearly as many of those people as everybody thinks. If you take a look, middle-class people and people with, are on hourly wages and middle-class folks, you have over 50% of them six months ago in a poll saying they don't think that their children are ever gonna have the same standard of living they have. He has really damaged the economy for hardworking and middle-class people. That's why I said the second reason I'm running is restore the backbone of this country, hard work and middle-class people. The, we, the president has to be part of the solution, not the problem. Ordinary people are getting crushed. And guess what? 
If you are Latino or you're African-American, you are really getting crushed. The unemployment rate among black youth is up in the 36, 37 percent range, even higher for Latinos. Everybody's beginning to understand the way we treat people is simply not right. As president, would you then continue being the Biden who's not afraid to tell it like it is and address those issues specifically within those communities? Because oftentimes it feels like politicians run on these ideas, but then when they get into power, they say, oh, we're gonna fix things for everybody. But the truth is, America has a legacy of oppressing certain people, specifically black people. And it feels like those issues and those areas need to be addressed in a very specific way, as opposed to in a general way. Are you gonna be willing to do that? Yes, I am. And face some of the backlash that comes with it. By the way, yes, and I tell you what, One of the things I've done and I've been known for in my state is I not only, I don't address those issues just to the African-American community. I go to the business community and make the case to the business community. I -hmm. think people, you gotta make the case to the people who in fact are the reluctant to pay their taxes to do these things and say, tell me, are you gonna be better off? And I'm confident, I'm confident that you have at least 20% of that population that is the folks who are in the upper income brackets going, well, yeah, you know, I guess I'm a little better off if there's more peace and security. We, we tend to be unwilling to make the case to the people who historically have said, okay, look, this is all about my not paying taxes. You can't build a wall high enough around your home. You keep pollution out. You can't build a wall high enough around your home to keep peace in the neighborhood. You can't build a wall high enough around your home to see to it that you have a safe place to move around the country. I mean, it just, and I think we gotta make the case to the very people who say they're opposed. And the last point I'll make is, you know, the people who voted for Trump out of frustration, high school educated people who are busting their neck, they're the neighborhoods I come from. That's where I come from in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and Claymont, Delaware, the people I grew up with. In fact, they, in fact, understand. And I think they know, I think they know me. That's why I think the polling data is demonstrating that they know I will do what I say and respect them. When we come back, Vice President Biden tells me who he's choosing as his running mate. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Here is the final part of my interview with Vice President Joe Biden. You may have respect and you may have people coming out in many places to vote for you. But as we saw in Georgia just yesterday, if those people's votes aren't counted and if those people don't get the opportunity to vote, then your entire campaign may be moot. So what is the plan up until November to make sure that people can vote, to make sure that everyone, whether it's Republican or Democrat, black or white, has the opportunity to vote without being in a line that's six hours long? It's my greatest concern, my single greatest concern. This president's gonna try to steal this election. This is a guy who said that all mail-in ballots are fraudulent, direct, voting by mail, while he sits behind the desk in the Oval Office and writes his mail-in ballot to vote in the primary. This is a guy you have 23, I believe it is, states have passed over, over uh, 82 pieces of legislation, making it harder for people to vote, harder. That's why we're putting together a major initiative of lawyers to go out and make sure that we're in every single district in the country to patrol this. We need, if I'm president, 
They, and this is what their worries. If I'm president, we're going to have same-day registration. The report was in Pennsylvania, they were still counting votes. We may not know, quote, this is the, you know, the sort of implicit threat. We might not know who won Pennsylvania in a general election until a month after the election. Wow. What, what do you think that this is about with Trump? This is a man... Do, do, you, do you worry then? Let me, let me ask you this, and I know this is a strange question to ask an American politician, maybe easier around the world, but... Have you ever considered what would happen if the election result came out as you being the winner and Trump refused to leave? Yes, I have. And I was so damn proud. You have four chiefs of staff coming out and ripping the skin off of Trump. And you have so many rank and file military personnel saying, whoa, we're not a military state. This is not who we are. I promise you, I'm absolutely convinced they will escort him from the White House in a, in a, with great dispatch. There are many people who have taken to the streets now. There are many black people, but there are many white people marching with them. There are many young people who say, we need a revolution. We need to see a change in this country. I know as Joe Biden, you've often pitched yourself as the person who is going to bring the people together and the person who's going to transform things as opposed to just a revolution. What is your pitch to them? What is your pitch to that, to that um, Bernie Vosa? What is your pitch to that voter who says, Joe Biden, I'm crushed by college debt. I need to see the world change. I haven't seen enough change, and I don't understand why I should vote for you. When announced, all of a sudden, I was the front runner. And the expectation was, Joe Biden, former vice president, feels like he's entitled. He's the front runner. Let's take him down. And so we spent a better part of a year with a target on my back. And now it worked out, and people are now going, oh, I've had actually people say to me, I didn't know that was your position in the environment. I didn't know you were the guy that wrote the, wrote the first climate change bill back in 1986. I didn't know, et cetera. I didn't know you were the guy that took on apartheid. I didn't know you were the guy that did that. I didn't know. Well, you know, so things are beginning to change and people are realizing. And I have changed. I have changed. I believe there has to be more, more debt forgiveness for college loans. I think there has to be more opportunity to go to college for free for free. But we have to change corporate policy too. And the tax cut, imagine just concluding, I know you've got to go, but imagine if we had that $2 trillion tax cut and we hadn't wasted it on the wealthy that generated virtually no growth at all. No growth at all, according to most of the conservative think tank. Imagine if we had that $2 trillion back when we were calling for it and say, we're going to use that to educate people. We're going to use that to reduce student debt. We're going to use, we'd be a different country. Leadership matters. Leadership matters. My final question to you pertains to the race. You've been really tight-lipped and you've played your cards close to your chest about who your running mate could be. People have thrown out names, Stacey Abrams, Kamala Harris, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren, etc. I, I have a pitch for you. Last time you teamed up with someone who was half African, half white, and things went very well for you, Mr. Vice President. And I've looked at my contract and I've seen that nothing stops me from being Vice President of the United States. Were you born in America? I don't think that's an issue, to be honest, for Vice President. It is, unfortunately. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be asking you. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I'd Mr. Be Vice President, you. Thank, thank you so much for your time today. Um, you make it luck on, on the rest of your journey, and uh, please pass my regards to the Dr. Biden. I will, and thank you very much for having me. I hope you have me on again. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, 
The Daily Show and Comedy Central have been donating to three groups who are fighting against police brutality and systemic racism. The NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the Equal Justice Initiative, and the Bail Project. Now, if you are able to, and you'd like to help these groups as well, please go to any of the links and do whatever you can. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there. Remember to wear your mask. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 